With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cams. It can be easily installed at your convenience and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time, and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get down for eSports! <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Nerf This, the esports show that is in totally indulging themselves in BlizzCon fandom this week. I am your host, Brian Huff, and I'm joined, as I always am, by Seven. Hello, sir. Hey, how's it going? Uh, if you hear random weird noises uh, coming from my end, uh, it's probably the Fallout Boy concert going on uh, next door in the arena. Um, you're multitasking is what you're saying, right? You parked the van right outside Key Arena so you could get a little Fallout Boy in your esports? I'm actually at the booth buying swag right now, and I'm recording this from my phone. <laughs> That'll be $40 for that t-shirt. Damn, shit's expensive. <laughs> I was walking by, and I'm like, what is going on over there? There's like MTV shirts and stuff. I'm like, what? What? MTV is still yeah. a thing? That was that was what weirded me out. I had no idea it was there, and then I had to like search and see who was playing. I'm like, oh, it's Fallout Boy. There was a lot of people cheering, so evidently it's good Fallout Boy. To be fair, like I'm actually shocked that Fallout Boy has not been a closing ceremony artist at BlizzCon yet. Because they're really good at getting artists like years after they're relevant. Oh yeah, you're you're right. Good call. Next year. Next year. The, yeah. They're listening the right now. Like Morheim's like Fallout Boy. That's what the kids really like. <laughs> He's gonna put them in some Warcraft bowling, bowling shirts. <laughs> Let them go. Anyways. <laughs> oh god. They're not Smash Mouth. I don't think they do the bowling shirts. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. I feel like that's like standard garb for anybody who gets up on stage. Uh, bowling, it's the bowling shirt. shirt. Yeah. Although it evidently works for Warcraft people. It does. They're they're yeah. celebs. Yeah. So apologies to all you non-Blizzard folks. Uh, we'll be back next week with our regularly scheduled. No, I don't want to say non-Blizzard content, but partially Blizzard content. But for those of you who are Blizzard fans, we've got a big show in store for you. We're going to talk about the Overwatch League panel and announcements and uh, how they creatively and probably intelligently scheduled it right before the main, uh, for the concert on the main stage, which is a good way to guarantee yourself an audience. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about the Overwatch World Cup. Jules Scott from Convert to Ray will be joining us to recap the HGC Grand Finals. And I got a chance to interview Sam Braithwaite, the esports franchise lead for Heroes of the Storm to talk about the previous year of the HGC and how he's feeling about going into year two. But first, Seven, what are we drinking this week? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I went uh, a little above and beyond and went to a farmer's market and picked up something 
uh, from Propolis Brewing, which is in Anacortes, which is up north west of Seattle. There's not much west, like there's like water, but it's like northwest of Seattle. And uh, it turns me on when you speak hipster to me, by the way. Yeah, like what? Do I have to, like say like koozie? No, because you <laughs> like farmers markets, town you've never heard oh. of, independent brewer. Well, there's a couple of uh, in Seattle. There's a couple of brewers who go and sell their stuff, and that's sometimes the only way to get it in Seattle is as at a market in one of their like booths. But uh, anyway, so it's just from Propolis Brewing. It's their Granum. It's a saison, which is not something that I've. Re- I don't think I've ever had a saison on on. Any show, any podcast, so it's my first. World first. Well, yeah, world first. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like a Saison. It's fermented in a, a, a Pinot Noir barrel. It's uh, it's, it's actually, um, there's there's several types of beers that I don't like. And Saison is something I'm sort of dabbling in. And uh, some of their stuff has actually been really, really good. Like I had their spruce one just before I came uh, to the office. and to Spruce record. like the tree? Yeah, they do like a lot of uh, like wild. Uh, I don't know, what do they call? They're like, like they like wild craft a lot of their stuff. So they're all like I wild see. ales, and they only craft during certain seasons. So they basically create like twelve beers a year. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. Small did you batches. wax your mustache before you did all of this? <laughs> well, it threw me off. Remember, you were sitting there like it's like in the pre-show, and I get like pop it off. And I'm like, oh crap! There was like a cork in it. I don't know if I can actually. I don't know if I have like a wine opener to get it too. But, like, so there was a bottle, like a top and a cork. So I was like totally thrown off, and I think that's Fallout Boy up there behind me. I, I, I literally saw them walk by the window. They're like super stoked. <laughs> they like looked in. They're like, is this an esports show? Like we're gonna cancel the concert. Totally, totally. That's <laughs> actually uh, the after the after party is. Uh, in my office, totally. Yeah. Wow, the fo- the Fall Out Boy fan club, all ten of you are getting together, drinking some spruce saison, and uh, reminiscing about the good days of MTV. I'll see if I can get them to buy some bowling shirts off of the BlizzCon store. Give yeah. them some Nerf this stickers while you're at it. Got to promote oh, yeah, the show. Got, I still got a couple of them. Yeah, stick one right there on the window and be like, "Hey, hey, while you're out there, we need to, we need to find a way to get rid of those to like listener people." I think we should get one of those ears. T-shirt guns and just like fire them out. Like <laughs> Into boys crowd, yeah, yeah, yeah that, won't, that won't get me arrested. And yep, nope, not at all. Yep, see, get Move on it. On. Got to yep. take one for the team. All right, <laughs> let's get on to BlizzCon. So there's a lot to talk about. We'll try to keep it as esports related as possible. But to be honest, we're also Blizzard fanboys, so we will have some just general thoughts about some of the announcements. We'll get it kicked off with Overwatch, and of course, the most important thing to happen was the new hero. Moira, a new support hero, thankfully, you know, hopefully going to break the old Mercy meta and bring us both healing and damage. An interesting a mechanic they've tried in Warcraft, and now it felt really, really familiar when I read this because it's like, oh, you heal to do damage and you damage to do healing and all this crazy stuff. And I had some flashbacks of that horrible expansion where all healers were forced to do damage. <laughs> well, I, from what I've seen so far, I didn't get a chance to play it in the media room because uh, the computers were, were full every time I went in there. Uh, and there's several people still talking. It's it's unbalanced on the PTR, but they're making adjustments. Like That's the point of throwing it on the PTR, right? Yes. Um, but it, it's cool. There's a lot of uh, abilities that are taken, say, from like Reaper. Um, and I didn't realize that the the orb, which it, it feels very Symmetra like, like a Symmetra healer, right? Uh, right? But the the orb actually bounces, and I didn't realize that part until I rewatched the video. And it's like, oh, simple geometry, and like bump, bump, like bounce. I'm like, oh, that's how you killed that person. <laughs> um, I didn't realize that. It wasn't really fully apparent, even though I watched the follow up 
uh, panel that they did, which they kind of went in depth with the character. And I have to say, the glam skin. Like as soon as I saw that, saw oh the David Bowie one. Yeah, I was like, this is this is Bowie. Like this is like straight on. Yeah, if we don't get something from, um, oh man, what is the the movie Labyrinth? If we don't get like a Labyrinth theme skin at some point in time, I'm just gonna I'm gonna cry. But the glam skin is like an excellent excellent start. Yes, yes, incredibly amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's continuing that theme that we saw with Arissa, right? Where there's like little hints from other heroes' powers that mm-hmm. are kind of informing this. And I believe from one of the either comics or something they unveiled in one of the panels actually showed Moira being responsible for giving Reaper his, you know, his ability, his powers, I guess is the the right way of putting it. So not too surprising then, I guess, to see her get a very similar ability. But it is like this mismatch. There's a little bit of Mercy in there. There's a little bit of Symmetra in there. There's obviously a little bit of Reaper. Um, Primary fire is going to be regeneration. Secondary fire um, will be damage. And that is the case for both her regular weapon as well as what the orbs are able to do. We also get the uh, Coalescence, which is a long-range frontal beam ultimate, which both heals and damages at the same time and pierces barriers. From what little I've seen people playing it on Twitch, it is definitely super OP right now, as most new heroes are when they come out of the gate. But <laughs> Isn't that how Jeff described it, though, at the at the entry? He goes, in case you're wondering how to spell Moira, it's O-P-A-F. And I'm yeah. like, holy, holy crap. He just said AF, and he's like old enough to be my father. I know, but it was just funny because uh, he he does it. And he, he just smirks while he said it because he knows he's like, well, I kind of slid that one in there, maybe. Yeah, like hopefully nobody gets upset with me for you know using adult acronyms, I guess. But yeah, so interesting to see how that plays out. I tried to play her on the PTR the last two days, and anyone who knows trying to play new heroes on the PTR is an exercise in frustration. Is everybody like first picks it? Insta picks right out of the box, and you're like constantly just waiting for somebody to switch away, which never happens, and it's like super frustrating. So, not a whole lot of detailed yeah. analysis there, but in general, happy to see the support meta get shaken up. Um, we'll see. I've heard rumors of like December ish for this drop. It all, as usual, depends on how well they do on the PTR. We saw a pretty quick turnaround with Doomfist after a few tweaks. So, I imagine hopefully in the next week or two, we'll see some tweaks to Moira and maybe get her out by like early to mid December, which is stoked. Yeah. That's a, it's an interesting call too because with preseason coming up, I know you'll it's in the notes to talk about it later. But uh, dropping her before preseason seems super risky. My imagine is my imagine that we will not see her; that she'll probably be banned. That I mean, it's usually like a two week ban before they. Yeah, we don't know the rules yet for Overwatch League, but if it works like sure. Heroes, like it will usually be like well, a set period of time post release before she's available. They've historically done any time in competitive play when a new hero comes out, it's not in uh, that actual season for like the first two weeks so that people can, I don't know, go into play mode. And, yes, and figure her off. out. But I would imagine yeah, she'll be available when the season kicks off in January, unless there's some like weird release delay or something funky. I, yeah, of. I can't imagine. And yeah, because I think like at the end of December, a lot of Blizzard, maybe not the Overwatch team, because they've got a lot to do. Um, a lot of gaming companies take a lot take a majority of their time off during that. Yes, because it's the only teams. time we stop caring about what they're releasing. <laughs> so we can play all the things that we've been bought over the awesome fall release schedule, and uh, our families are all asleep from eating too much turkey. Uh, we also got a new map, Blizzard World, um, which 
I must confess, I was like, I totally thought that, like, I don't know, I was trying to figure out where the hell Kaplan was going with, like, the California Tourism Board promotion You're that he was so doing. Confused. I was getting super angry, like, I was triggered. I'm like, why Why does this sound like an ad for California? Like, are we going to get, like, a little logo that pops up with, like, the Swartz of Governor, and he's up there, and he's like, this is the Governator, and I'm here to tell you, welcome to California, or something stupid like that. Um, but it turned out to be him very weirdly teasing this new Blizzard World map. We don't know a ton about this map yet has this made it to the ptr yet that's one thing i didn't because you don't get a map select so i wasn't sure if it was available on the ptr yet he said it would be coming very soon i i haven't checked uh all i know is that it's like a, a hybrid map yes um, yes it's gonna be another hybrid map um it is certainly like a blizz it's like ode to blizzard fandom i got a little was, there was a few times during blizzcon's opening ceremony i have to admit that i got a little the nostalgia got to me and i got a little teary-eyed this was one of them because it's just so well done like there's like snacks aramis and um the flight to duskwood and That's the uh, lost and found or the, the vikings lost and found or something like that they're like so many cool little odes to to blizzard properties he said we were a little worried that we might have jumped the shark with this but i think it's great i thought it was a cool fun map um, i'm looking forward to seeing it played in competitive just because it'll be fun to see something different it's a little bit out of the theme uh, but overall exciting we don't know a ton about it i don't know that anybody's got to spend a ton of time with it this one they definitely said we're a little ways away from as far as release is concerned there was some talk of like early 2018 whatever that means um and again we'll get to test those overwatch league rules right like when will that map get put into the map rotation like this is you know something else that we don't know a whole lot about so blizzard world map was cool um we're getting some new base loot box skins which i we were all super stoked about because there were some pretty yeah. awesome ones in there i, I want to say it was probably what two three months ago there was that reddit post going around where uh, um somebody had gone through and like created warcraft or blizzard themed skins for overwatch characters that got pretty popular and this is kind of a nod to that we're getting a mortal orissa magni bronzebeard torborn uh, nova Widowmaker, similar to um the inverse that we get in Heroes of the Storm with the Widowmaker Nova, uh, Blackhand Doomfist, a Butcher Roadhog, which is amazing. Um, so a lot of cool skins, and they're coming as a part of a larger review of the standard loot boxes that's coming in early 2018. We didn't get a whole lot of details on it beyond those skins, but you know, just from pure fandom, these are really great skins, and I'm always stoked when we get some additions to the standard loot boxes. Yeah, the ghost skin was probably my favorite. I was just like, oh, now I want to go play StarCraft. <laughs> <laughs> I'll add that. That's the, that's the biggest challenge coming out of BlizzCon is like, I want to play all the Blizzard games. Oh, well, I'm yeah. an adult and have no time. All the all the StarCraft that went on went, made me want to go play StarCraft. But uh, it was just that. And I was like, oh, man, I remember like StarCraft 2 Ghost just kind of sneaking in there. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's like one of my favorite. It's like one of the least effective characters. But it's so much fun when it, you're able to pull it off. Total memes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that little aside. Sorry. But overall, like, happy with the Overwatch announcements. Um, probably, like, there's always so much you can do with Overwatch, right? It's either going to be, like, you get a new hero, you get a new map. I don't think we're going to see any game modes. I know some people were really hoping that there would be some discussion of competitive free-for-all, and there's a lot of people that have become huge fans of the various free-for-all deathmatch-style uh, modes that have been added to the arcade in the last six months, both the elimination lockout ones and as well as yours truly, who loves the eight-person free-for-all. But no announcements on that front, which, you know, I wouldn't call it disappointing because there wasn't, like, a lot of really strong rumors that it was going to happen. It was probably more hopes and prayers turned into rumors than actual rumors, but that was something personally I was hoping to see a little bit more on, but it doesn't sound like, at least for now, we're going to get any change in that department nope 
Sad. Sad. Moving on to Heroes of the Storm. So we got two new heroes announced. Um, they're a surprise if you have not been following the uh, the list that has been circulating on Reddit for quite a while. That's per- that is a leak of the next list of heroes coming out. Um, if you want to be spoiled, go find that list because it has been a hundred percent accurate both in heroes and in timing. But we're going to get uh, more Hanzo mains because there weren't enough in Overwatch. So now we're going to get some Hanzo mains and Heroes of the Storm. <laughs> that okay. So this reveal was my favorite reveal of of the opening ceremony because. They immediately show like Alex Straza like running. Everybody's like, "Yes, Alex Straza!" And also she turns around. It's like thump an arrow, and they're like Hanzo, and everybody goes, "Oh!" Like it just, <laughs> it's it just like a boo almost. It, yeah, it was, and it was just absolutely flip flopped. Now I know that like in BlizzCon, there's like a, a very heavy uh, Warcraft uh, continuum. It, it, it's you know the core of why we started there. going there, right? Like most people right, are there right, right. in some capacity because of Warcraft. Right, right, because you go anywhere else, and Warcraft doesn't really have that type of following, but it does there because that is home for Warcraft. Uh, but it was just, it was just total flip flop, and uh, I'm, that's probably why they paired that release. Right? If, could you imagine like Hanzo, and then I don't know some dump, another almost uh, a dumpster character. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. He's not. It just you know you it's pair okay. it with somebody who like, doesn't really care. Yeah, it'd be like Hanzo and some like Diablo three character nobody knows. Or some random what's that what's that dude in uh, Stormwind who just wants a cheeseburger like the entire time? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's him. <laughs> that, that's the character near the storm. Yeah, your 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 ultimate is basically uh, you know, getting an actual cheeseburger and like shutting up. That's Th- it. That'd be awesome. Just like throwing <laughs> cheeseburgers all over the place. So we're getting uh Hanza who will be an assassin. We're gonna get Alex Straza who will be support. Alex Straza is probably where I spent the majority of my time getting excited, um, because she just looks awesome. Like she's a awesome support character. She can actually transform into a dragon for a decent amount of time. Do some pretty powerful stuff. Everything that we wanted out of one of the aspects, right? Like I think their Deathwing was another one that has been rumored for a while, and everyone was like, "Oh, how would they pull off this like dragon aspect thing?" Yeah. And so far, so good. Squishy as hell. Um, Andy and I both gave her a run in the press room, and it was super squishy. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But overall, like I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, the change that I'm probably the most excited for for Heroes of the Storm, and I think I even like tapped you on the shoulder during the opening, I'm like, that's a big deal, was the performance-based matchmaking, where they're actually going to mm-hmm. start analyzing individual players' contribution to a match. Not your win and loss record, though that will still be in it. There will be a huge portion of it biased towards your individual performance in matches, and it's a big deal. Now, how it's going to play out and how it's going to be implemented is still up in the air, but if they can get even close to nailing that, that is a massive change for people who are involved in competitive play. Yeah, that is absolutely huge. And I know that like a lot of people, like throughout the weekend, after they announced that, it was like every time that there was a, a panel for another game, like Overwatch or, or Hearthstone, they're like, when are we getting this same kind of feature? And they're like, no, not going to happen. I mean, Overwatch said multiple times they don't want to do it. Uh, Hearthstone kind of-ish doesn't add Legend, but not really. Uh, but no, this is huge because it, it it's Blizzard saying that the group element isn't, in a way, it's a, Blizzard saying that the group element of the win-loss record isn't as important uh, your your group contribution isn't isn't as important as your solo contribution. Yep. Which goes against exactly why they say they won't do it in Overwatch. Overwatch. So I feel like uh, Heroes again 
is the test bed. I feel like Heroes is like the test bed for everything. Which is interesting yeah. because the yeah. way that Heroes in general works is the most group-based like game out of all those, right? Like Overwatch, it's very easy to actually look in-game and see who's performing well, roughly speaking. Where Heroes of the Storm... It's group experience, like it's group eliminations, like it's, and they're going to take that back a bit with how they're doing performance matchmaking. So it'll be interesting to see, but you're right. They have become like this test bed where we're like, we feel like we'll piss off the least amount of people <laughs> if we test this feature in Heroes of the Storm. I'm not right. trying to be, I'm not trying to be mean to the Heroes of the Storm folks, but it's effectively what they're saying here. It's a pretty massive change. Um, clearly from what we've been hearing at the panels at BlizzCon, something that everybody wants across the board. And, We'll see how it plays out. It has the potential to be, mm-hmm. at least from a like quality of life standpoint, for people who play competitive Heroes of the Storm, a pretty big upgrade. Yeah, and they said they were only releasing it in Canada at first because Canadians don't get mad, so they can figure out whether or not it's actually <laughs> no, just, That's totally awesome. That's, that's, why, that's why the Canadian Overwatch World Cup team was so good. they just like, we got exactly. this. Exactly. We got yeah. this. They've, they've been on that system for a while, and they just took the best people in performance matchmaking and put them on a team. See? Yep. See? They're all that's why they're the test bed. Um, we're also getting voice chat. I'm not going to go super deep into this other than people are really angsty about this. If you want to see the difference in core audience as far as MOBAs go between a Dota and a League of Legends and Heroes of the Storm and understand how that audience is drastically different, look at the reaction on Twitter to the voice chat announcement. People hate it. People think it's going to force them to actually have to interact with people. They feel like they're going to get trolled. They feel like it's going to cause a lot of people to be discriminatory towards them, whether it's a woman on the team or things of that nature. And they're very, yeah. very upset about it. And I, I, all valid concerns, but it kind of goes to show you that like it's competitive in the same way that even like an Overwatch is. An Overwatch voice chat to me is also full of the same kind of thing. <laughs> right, um, right. But like it just goes to show you this community is not your traditional, typical mobile community. And a feature like this, they're kind of like, you know, Blizzard, you can take that. We don't really want it. Like, we'd rather just continue to go on because now people are going to require us to be in voice chat to, to you know, team up in competitive, and it's going to ruin the game for a lot of people. And it's a valid concern. So while not necessarily esports related, I think it does have a potential impact on the amount of people that are playing in ladder and competitively in Heroes of the Storm. We'll see how that actually holds up. Because these were people that like are not just your average dabble, you know, casual fans. These are people that I know that play that game pretty damn hardcore at pretty high levels that are not happy about this. Well, when it was announced, it got a pretty good amount of applause uh, at at BlizzCon. So I'm, I'm surprised to hear that it's <laughs> this many people were against. Those that. are the like, trolls. That, yeah, <laughs> if you applauded, you're a troll. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe, maybe. You know, they could also just create like a, a voice filter uh, or just a, a, to automatically make everybody sound like a gender neutral Protoss character. Like, yes. so or we could all just sound like Jeff it. Kaplan. Just there like a Dino Flask video whenever we, whenever we use voice chat. <laughs> It'd be amazing. You suck. Insert random mom joke here. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> See you on Reddit. <laughs> OPAF. Yeah, so that's Heroes of the Storm. Next, we move on to Hearthstone, which I put near the end because I figured I, I'd be able to leave you enough time to, to have the, your feels about this. But we're going to get the Cobalts and Catacombs expansion. I think we kind of knew an expansion was coming. Luckily for Seven, it is not a pirate-themed expansion. Is uh, He was concerned right. it was going to be the case. Do you have I, feels I'm, about this? I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. What I'm actually the most happy about, and, and I said multiple times on, on Twitter, I even told devs, I was like, Dungeon Run... Uh, I know it's totally not esport related. It's totally not even really competitive, person to person. 
made my my BlizzCon. I think it was it just it's something um, that is just inherently like so much fun and, and and gives you so much longevity to to the content because you can always play, you can always do something. Uh, and I I got a chance to play it a couple times in the press room, um, and it's cool because it, there's a there's a, a constant deck building mechanic. Like if you if you're a, a fan of any kind of game where you have this like deck building mechanic, like Ascension or anything like that, like board game wise, uh, that's what it is. Every turn, every time you play something or you defeat a boss, and sometimes it's dumb, <laughs> but it's, it it, it kind of scales. And that's that was uh, it was a. Uh, it was awesome. It was it's like a single so player much, so Dominion kind of thing, right? Like it, it's got that Dominion. The, I might, have, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, it's, yeah it, it, it is. It's, it's one. Of, it's one of the coolest things about it. Completely unexpected. And like you said, not esports yeah. related at all. But like now, when I might have like casually screwed around in Hearthstone, and I'm not, you know, those times where I'm playing Hearthstone, where I'm like, oh man, I don't want to get on the ladder because I'm not really focused. I'm going to screw myself. This is what I'll do. Yeah, and, and there's there's some random chance to it. I know this is totally not esports related, but it is something that is, uh, you know, now part of the core game and, and is a lot of fun. Um, you know, for instance, I, I think I one of the the most fun I had playing was doing a warrior deck, and and at the end of it, you kind of choose and you get like three cards added or maybe four cards added to your deck. Yep. And it, again, they they kind of sped it up, but you can choose like certain packages. Like I went for charge minions over say maybe card draw or maybe more defense or more armor. Like you, you it pops up and gives you like a discover mechanic of like which of these four groups of cards do you want? And I chose charge, and then I ended up getting another one where it's like you know I end up getting recruit. So it's like you you play recruit recruit and me pulls out another charge menu and you're like bam face again and so it's just uh it's cool because there is some of that arena deck building piece to it um uh i don't know With, without so the uh, cost of arena right because this is gonna be free yeah yeah and on top of it i mean you don't get to keep any of the cards but on top of it i mean it does change up every time and i think they said one of the devs uh someone who's not even uh he's just like within blizzard they have a, a group of people who uh, play test or um, uh, Hearthstone that aren't necessarily part of Team Five, just throughout Blizzard in general. But he, w- he went to one of the devs and he was like, "I've played over 200 runs so far." <laughs> and he's yep. like, "It's just it's amazing." And it, it was a lot of fun. I I wish I had it already. Yeah. Uh, that playing flight. I, I asked him, I was like, "If you give it to me offline mode, you have consumed my entire life, right?" Because <laughs> yes, yeah, if I could play this on a plane, like oh, all man. the flying that I do would be awesome. Um, there was some talk of special rewards coming out of this, including like, if you can do like a full run with every class, there's like, there's something out there available to you. There's a card back. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, like hundred percent sold. I have definitely lapsed as a Hearthstone player in the last few months as I've been focusing a lot more on Overwatch. Um, but this will pull me back in. Like ladder has kind of got boring to me. I haven't been playing a ton. I was used to like... I'm a super like FOMA person and I hate missing card backs. I've missed the last like two months card backs because I just couldn't bring myself yeah. to play Hearthstone. So this is, I'm stoked for this to come out. We've got a there's, lot there's of, a, Oh, go ahead. There's, well, there's a couple other things I did want to mention. Like now we've got the legendary weapon piece, which is coming yep, every yep. class gets a legendary weapon. Uh, and a legendary and, minion too. Yeah. And, and the, the, <laughs> the priest one seems a little OP at this point in time. Uh, but I feel like there's the the meta is definitely going to shift considerably. I think with this one, simply because of uh, the prevalence of the those weapons, so you're going to start seeing like uh, oozes thrown in there, or even Harrison thrown in, just because people know that I'm probably going to get three cards off of that priest for having that, because every yep. priest is going to put that legendary weapon in their deck 
play three cards in one play three spells in one turn, get a free five five every <laughs> <laughs> it's awful but anyway no it's not awful it's, it's just i i don't play that priest deck because i, I hate it and so yeah yep, more reason to play it. it yeah so we're gonna get weapon legendary yeah. weapons for every class including classes that have never had weapons before um they have tweaked those a lot of those weapons for the casters for example uh, mm-hmm. will not actually be able to attack directly but they will have some sort of effect and durability will be reduced by using the ability on that we're going to get legendary minions which i don't think we've seen any of yet there might have been one um but we so we haven't seen all the legendary minions yet recruit is interesting in that it just feels like summon a random minion now keyworded it, it is it's just they they said they kind of a, a keyword now for it and yasharaj was like another one that's basically would have the recruit like pull one from your deck uh, pull a, a minion from your deck and put it in play although it's not a copy it's the actual card yes uh, that is the difference so yep. it's um, gonna summon you will... isn't a good example yeah <laughs> good job seven um of course everyone's gonna get marin the fox if you pre-order if you went to blizzcon you get a gold version of him uh summon an 08 treasure chest for your opponent break it awesome loot so another reason why we might see alchemist type cards in there to flop the uh health of <laughs> of things I, like that i've not i the irony is I've only run into Marin one time on ladder. Um, and that's been from like a 15 to 10 run. And um, it's not, I mean, it's, it's good for the memes uh, a lot. And you can actually, there's, you know, some really good rewards out of it, but I don't think um, it wasn't as meta defining as I thought it might be. I think there's a lot of people playing with it and I've tried to put in some counters with it, but ultimately I think one out of like maybe 20 matches has been against a, Marin's been dropped. Um, not something that I feel like is you have to tech against on ladder. At no, least no. There's been like I've seen some decks floating around on Hearthbone and stuff, but I think it's mostly people just trying to find an excuse to use it because it's out there and it's something Pretty new much. and different. Yeah. But 135 sure. new cards you can pre-order now. If you pre-order, it's the usual deal, card back and all that jazz. I I did hear that uh, on release, they everybody will get like a free legendary weapon, just how they did the free DK. Hmm, interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't, don't, please don't quote me on that. Up quoted. Social piece going I, I out do, now. I, do, I, I remember reading it and hearing it like twice. So Probably confirmed. Confirmed. Sources. Sources. Sources say. Exactly. <laughs> sources say. Uh, 135 new cards coming out in December-ish time frame. It's looking like the second week around the 10th or so. It was kind of accidentally leaked because it was referred to in some... Uh, Hearthstone esports documentation that came out that was re- referencing new cards and things of that nature. So we're looking probably around the December tenth time frame. Um, again, sources. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that ends up going out. But yeah, overall, pretty excited. Uh, the reveals will kick back off starting November twentieth. Is the date that is going around where we'll start to see reveals probably use, via the usual means, some streamers. Uh, on Twitter, you know, things of that nature. So keep a lookout if you're interested in finding out. They'll have to get them out there pretty quick if that December 10th time frame is happening. It's not a lot of time to reveal 135 cards. So uh, we talked a bit about BlizzCon, at BlizzCon, which I thought was interesting that Blizzard is actually starting to pay attention to this. But they were very – we heard from multiple people that they were very careful on what cards they selected to show this year yes. in an attempt to not – have people freak out over the meta. I think Ben Brode talked about this. Some other random sources of ours have mentioned it to us in passing. So definitely something Blizzard's uh, paying attention to after they've gotten burned several times by releasing what appear to be meta-defining cards out of the gate with no context for like what's happening around them. 
Yeah, there's been a couple times. I think TGT is when they learned not to reveal cards in that manner because it was, uh, I think it was like one of the hundred cards. Everybody was just like, what the hell have you done? This is so broken. And everybody freaks out. And that card um, pretty much never saw play in in competitive at all. I I don't think everybody tried to use it in some way, shape, or form. It just doesn't happen. And so this happens a lot. People don't understand the full context of stuff and they don't look at the entirety of the meta and, and because it does shift, it does change. Uh, and so it doesn't, um, you know, they, they, they've gone two different routes, right? With TGT, they had, um, uh, like, I think it might've been like stampede, I think, or something like that. And then, and, and then, uh, uh, in Karazhan, it was Purify, and everybody's like, oh, it's awful. So they've had both extremes. So they, they're really worried about what cards that they do release. So we kind of heard beforehand that, uh, oh, it won't be anything that, like, messes with the meta and makes people freak out is what they would announce. And that's true. There's nothing. I, like, the recruit mechanic is not About as boring broken. as it gets. This is like a cop-out. Like, we need a new keyword every single expansion. Let's repurpose something we're already doing. Yeah, if anything, the closest to the freakout was the uh, priest weapon because I, I there was some audible groans when that was like released. Like really, the the most annoying, probably the best, most powerful Highlander priest deck now gets a weapon that makes it even summon five fives <laughs> on that turn that I'm probably just going to die on anyway. So they're going to fill their board of five fives just to laugh um, at me. More minions to their, point and laugh when I die. And doing DK and this, yeah, it's, it's, screw them. Um. But, yeah, so nothing super crazy, but hopefully there will be some crazy stuff coming up. Yes, uh, in the next week or so, hopefully we'll start seeing some of that. Um, and then last real quick note, we're going to get nine new arena-only cards, which is interesting. They did, like, a little fun mm. thing where they let the uh, fans vote between two multiples, some of which didn't even have descriptions just yet, or, like, they weren't, like, official cards. They were, like, more of, like, concepts more than anything else that they were doing during the Hearthstone Deep Dive panel that Ben Brode did, but, I- yeah. I saw them voting on it, but I didn't realize that those were actually going in arenas. So yep. I thought they were just being considered for it, but wow. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool. I don't think they'll go in as is. I got the impression, because some of them literally had names of like question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we got that coming. <laughs> um, last but not least, not really esports related, but I do want to touch on this because this is near and dear to my heart. But the other time that I got super teary-eyed during the opening ceremony was the WoW Classic announcement. We have assumed that something was coming with this, not necessarily BlizzCon this year, but like all they've been very stoutly defending themselves against all these like private servers that are running vanilla WoW. They made a little funny ice cream joke. Um, they made this cool like trailer that like reversed everything that had happened in the world over time from the various expansion trailers back to the original one with the dwarf out there with his bear. Um, we have no idea what it's going to look like. And we heard, again, like random sources be random sources. But we had this weird thing happening at an IHOP. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We're, I don't think you – were you with me when this happened? I don't, I don't think you think were. So. so Andy and I went to an IHOP, um, had some like late-night breakfast. And one of the guys who worked on the cinematic for Blizzard was trying to impress this woman behind us. And we got like the whole story from him about the making of this cinematic and how they basically just came to him weeks before um, BlizzCon and was like, we want to announce this. We need a trailer. And then they like had to panic and put stuff together. There's like very little progress, it feels, that has been made on this. That's not to say they haven't experimented and they know how they're going to do it, but this is not like a full-fledged, thought-out product yet. At least I didn't get the impression from listening to this random guy at IHOP. No, so I, I went back and I, I rewatched that intro piece because I was walking away to go do one of the E League interviews when they they kind of announced it, and um, 
it's they didn't give a, a time frame on it, and it says that they're 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 doing it, they're wanting to do it, mm-hmm. and so I think it's something that they're in the middle of. It's it sounds like it's going to be. My guess is probably like late summer or fall. It doesn't seem like it's anything super, super close. Yeah, I'd be uh, even shocked if we saw it in 2018, to be honest, because I feel like this is not Blizzard is not going to just lock the patch, you know, the first non pre Burning Crusade patch. So whatever was like the last patch before we got Burning Crusade content, they're not going to just cop out and lock it at that. They're going to make quality of life improvements. They're going to decide what they think is core to the vanilla experience versus what is just going to make a bad game. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just going to take time. I also heard a random comment from that same guy. And again, take this IHOP source, which I feel so like (laughs) IHOP source. source. According (laughs) to the guy at the IHOP, um, this is the quality (laughs) of reporting that you get here at Nerf this. According to the Jacob, Jacob Wood has like, People on the team or owners or next to the owners and whatever. We've got IHOP guy. <laughs> I love it. Hey, we all got to start Perfect. somewhere. If I want to be the future Jacob Wolf, I'm starting with the guys at the IHOP. Uh, random IHOP guy said that they are also lacking a lot of the original vanilla assets similar to what they ran into with StarCraft. So uh, take that with a grain of salt by all means. Right, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're a ways off and I don't think it's going to literally be here's pre burning crusade last patch. They're going to do some fancy stuff there. Um, and then we're also getting battle for Azeroth have very little to say here other than cool new wow expansion. We're getting back to, you know, them beating the shit out of each other. Alliance and horror. Yay. Um, not the first time they've gone with this general theme, right? Like I think we saw some, like right. th- they always act like we've never actually had the horde versus Alliance, but I feel like it's the theme they go back to like every couple of years when they're trying to sell us on a new expansion. And, this is the latest version of that. Uh, people, new races, kind of, like uh, a different approach to races. There were like factions that define your race now, so like sub-races, mm-hmm. and they're only for certain races. All the gnome people were super pissed off, like very angry about how the gnomes got. Not only did they not get like specific races, but they also got left out of the tr- expansion trailer. There was no gnomes running around. so They super... don't get leopard gnomes? No, gnomes? no. That would have been know. dope, though. Like I could play <laughs> yeah, like a... Can I get like a leper gnome rogue? I could just, just be like beat people with your arm that fell off. I'm just gonna change my name to Concrud. That's gonna be my. It's <laughs> gonna be my leper gnome. But yeah, so that was BlizzCon <laughs> announcements. Uh, thank you for indulging us because none of that is really esports related. But as fans of Blizzard games and the fact that we were BlizzCon, it's worth talking about those things. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back from that break, we're going to get back into the esports because there's some Overwatch League stuff to talk about. We had a big Overwatch League panel going on as well as touching on the Overwatch World Cup. And we're back, and it is time to talk about our favorite subject here on Nerf This, and that is the Overwatch League. So... There was a lot of there was stuff going on behind the scenes. They were doing a lot of press. Uh, if you if you've been poking around, there's a lot of like fluffy, happy go lucky press going on right now, where they brought in like mainstream outlets to like profile different teams and talk to the owners and like the the PR machine was in full effect. But there was some some fonts, <laughs> some logos, <laughs> logos everywhere. And that you didn't get to see it because you were flying back. But uh, Nate Nanzer had this like. Straight out of the '80s, like shiny uh, Overwatch I League jacket. You see I that? The video. Oh man! Oh yeah. man! Like starter jacket stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. So we got a lot of announcements. I thought it was very interesting. So the Overwatch League panel happened right after the Overwatch World Cup wrapped, but they did it on the main stage just before the concert, so they were guaranteed an audience. Um, reaction was eh. 
Like, I mean, it wasn't like there was anything mind blowing for people to get excited about. But if you watch the VOD or you were there in person, uh, there was like eh, kind of applause here or there. It was certainly not like a ruckus uproar you heard from any of the other announcements. So take that for what you think is there, but it was certainly worth noting. Do you think they should have announced all of the teams of BlizzCon? I think so. I don't know. Like, man. Okay, let's just stop for this for like 30 seconds. Most of the hype videos, not all, but most of the hype videos that preceded (laughs) these branding announcements sucked, were horrible, complete waste of time. It would have been far cooler for them to like bring all the owners out or the representatives or whoever you wanted to do from each team, like show off the gear, show off the branding. Like that would have been so much cooler to see. Allegedly these jerseys are going to be available in like weeks. Like I think it's the or uh, December 9th, I think is when you're going to be able to yeah, start pre-ordering a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So it's like if you could order that now, there're going to be samples. Like have the p- guys come out and be like, "Hey, and I'm here." And like, you know, it unveils every branding. Like that I thought would have been a little bit cooler to do so we had a little bit of the air out of this. Um, I get why they probably did it the way they did because it kept Overwatch League in the news from an esports perspective for weeks. Right, right. Um, yeah. But yeah, so preseason is kicking off. It's going from December 6th to the 9th. I'll actually be down there for day one to check that out. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Uh, regular season is going to begin January 10th. I mean, this is where it starts to get interesting. So we're getting two divisions, a Pacific and an Atlantic division. A couple interesting decisions here. So the first is the Pacific is basically going to take like all the heavy hitters and put them in the Pacific. You've got yeah. Dallas, you got both LA clubs, you got San Francisco, Seoul and Shanghai. So your likely Overwatch League champions are going to come out of that division quite clearly. Um it was also odd because they chose to split up Dallas and Houston, which was weird because they've yeah. been like forcefully like Blizzard, we're not naive here, folks, but you've been forcefully creating a rivalry between those two organizations via Twitter. Um clearly there was a memo that went out about that. It's interesting that they would split them up, the Dallas Houston, but not uh, not get Texas as a big state. But still, Dallas Houston, there's a rivalry there, right? They're playing each other a lot, especially in the same division. That's even more of a rivalry, right? That's a reason to to go to those matches. Uh, just like we have in MLS, we've got you know Vancouver, Seattle, and and those Portland scum. Uh, and so we've got uh, sorry, um, but I mean we we all play each other. We're all in the same division. We all yep. like have a train that connects us. That's cool. Um, but they didn't do that with the LA team. Yeah, um, yeah, it's weird. But then again, it doesn't really matter. We'll talk about that in a second. The format because it, it, it yeah it matters, but it doesn't matter. So it's kind of weird. But the Atlantic, Boston, Florida, Houston, London, New York, Philly, aka London, Cloud Nine. Jack hit the jackpot because that team is so stacked compared to everybody else in the Atlantic division. They're pretty much guaranteed <laughs> to walk through that. Yeah. So I know I'll be well, rocking my Spitfire jersey from day one, and now I feel even better about doing so because uh, clearly going to be uh, easy pickings for uh, London in that division. So we're going to get season format, uh, four stages. This man, I've got to tell you, I had to go back and watch this video like five freaking times to understand what the hell they were going on about because this is not the most easy to understand format that anybody has ever come up in esports, and that's saying something. It's it's not, um, but I see why they're doing it, and I actually I actually kind of agree with some of it. Um, I'm not because, against it, but man, for the average fan, it's like I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Could someone yeah. draw me a map here? It's like it's like each season is broken up into four seasons. It's, it's um, yeah, it's weird, and you get points based on where you land in each stage. 
Yes, yes. So, so we're getting four yeah. stages, five weeks each. There'll be a 10-day break in between each stage. Uh, the matches will be played Wednesday through Saturday. They're basically trying to schedule things so you get an opportunity no matter what day of the week it happens. You, you should be able to find time at some point to watch Overwatch esports. What'll be a challenge is, is like if you only truly like if you truly buy into their model and you only give a shit about one team, you may right. not be able to watch your team every week because of the time that they end up playing. Especially troublesome for people who might live in London and be fans of London as well as you know Seoul and Shanghai on, on the opposite end of that spectrum. Um, stage one is going to run Jan 10th to Feb 10th, stage two, Feb 21st to March 24th, stage three, April 4th to May 5th, and stage four, May 16th to June 16th. There will be 20 interdivision matches and 20 cross-division matches, and that's where I talk about the divisions mattering <laughs> from a record standpoint, but not from a who-you-play standpoint, so right, it's right. not as catastrophic that they split Houston and Dallas, but still just, I don't know, feels weird to me. It's... Basically, everybody plays everybody all the time, so the divisions only matter when you're... Which actually makes it even worse if you think about it from just like a who's overpowered standpoint, because like London's just going to look like superstars by the time they come out of that. Um, the final Saturday of each stage will feature two title matches, uh, which is the way they worded it, and it's actually worded really weird. What it actually means is the top three teams will be placed into a seeded playoff. So the second, it's like a final boss kind of situation uh, where the second and third teams will play each other, and the winner of that will go on to play the first seeded team, and there'll be 125k on the line to the as a performance bonus. They, man, they take a shot every time Nate and Anzer said performance bonus. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so much, so much, so much money thrown at them. So yes. the, the, the teams know there's money going towards you. Did there's you know there's? Money hey, I hear there's some performance bonuses. Did you know that? Yeah, I have sources. I have sources. Sources say uh, postseason is going to run from July 11th to the 22nd. Um, the division winners plus the four re- teams remaining with the best season records will be who will compete in the postseason, playing up to a grand final on the July 26th and 27th for $1 million to the winner. Um, and then an also randomly mentioned All Star weekend in August. The All Star Weekend kind of got me. I was like, "What? You're sorry, really what? going all in like with this like sports NFL thing? Piece. Yeah, like we're yeah. traditional sports All Star Weekend. Um, that, does that mean we'll get some dope All Star Weekend jerseys? Like that's the only thing that I care about. <laughs> They're doing it in Hawaii. It does. Nobody cares. They, they just run up <laughs> the score against each other. It's I, it's, it's funny they would take a obviously dying trope <laughs> within sports. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna do it too. We gotta, gotta do it. it. All Stars. I think like all of them are trying to find a way out of doing it because it's no longer viable or make any sense. Well, yeah, because you got like the NBA like changing their format where they're like it's like a like mm-hmm. middle school kickball game now where like LeBron is picking his buddies to come play on his team. The NFL's like oh we'll try to make it worth something. The MLB literally like had to tie it to direct like they tried an experiment where they like directly tied it the results of that game to like home field advantage for the World Series like all sorts of crazy shit. Oh wow yeah yeah, yeah went nuts with it and apparently like overwatch league is like we want to dive into that pool too yay so whatever uh financial breakdown 3.5 million in performance bonuses will be available over the course of an entire season up to or sorry at least 50 percent of those will go to players i'm not going to run down through the whole breakdown it's available on the overwatchleague.com site um, if you want to check that out um some other interesting announcements we we saw the jerseys and stuff were actually really cool by the way well, I get. I gotta add one one piece. So Nate Nanzer's talk, he talks about Overwatch dot com being like the solution of where they're going to like, or Overwatch League dot com being the place where they're putting all this information and someone yells out, "What's the cost?" And he's like, "It's <laughs> it it's a website." 
It's free. <laughs> I remember like, that. Yeah. It's like the fact that he even took time to answer like you you could audibly hear it. Like the dude was like he got within the mic range and yeah, they would be picked yelled. up. But like Nans was like, uh uh it it's free i think everybody's <laughs> waiting for them to drop like the 15 dollar a month subscription premium thing on us to yeah. pay for this damn adventure like, i think that's what it is which they haven't announced any kind of anything no but there's an app there's yeah. also an overwatch league app that's gonna allow you to yeah. track your team it's coming i don't care what anybody at blizzard says nate nanzer can get up there in his shiny starter jacket and try to distract me but the reality is, is you've got to pay for this somehow and they kept hinting at the broadcast partners I get a feeling it's going to be super disappointing because it's probably going to be Twitch. Like I, I, I don't know. We'll see. But I, I, I think if they were going for something bigger, our boy Jacob would have like trolled up some rumors by now. I, I, I'm just I'm convinced it's going to be disappointing. So I don't know where the money's going to come from. But yeah, OverwatchLeague.com, your source for all your Overwatch League stuff. Um, they seem to also be. It'll be interesting to see because they're like going all in, right? Like the stats, the whole nine yards. Um, which I was surprised. I was really, ho- I was honestly hoping they'd leave that to the community um, because I have a feeling it's probably going to suck the first season. I would have rather just seen some APIs and let us do our business as a community. But they say they're going to do it all in the app, so we're going to be able to do all that on over- OverwatchLeague.com. You can also buy some swag, which I got to give them thumbs up for the jersey designs. Mm-hmm. Even made up for some of the shitty branding, like so, some of the ones from a color <laughs> perspective were like some of my favorites. Despite hating the logo, like I hate the Mayhem's logo, but their jersey's dope. So they did a good job, though. So you'll be able to pick those up on December 9th as well. I believe it's the ninth, sixth or the ninth. I forget which. But you'll be able to pre-order those on OverwatchLeague.com if you want to like show your, your you know. Your, you got to do your thing, right? It's sports now. It's time to run around jerseys. <laughs> um, they'd also announced going into BlizzCon, uh, which we didn't get more details on, is their their giant deal with HP Intel, um, which we saw kind of play out a bit on the Overwatch World Cup jerseys, which all had yeah, the, Omen the Omen branding on them with the exception yep. of a couple of countries like South Korea, which had Logitech, I believe. Um, so, yeah, that's coming. But another endemic, right? Like, I think we were hoping... I personally was hoping that Overwatch was going to... You know, we got all this money in it. Let's get ourselves a non-endemic. Um, but we have seen, I forget who, I want to say it's Dallas or Houston, and pardon my poor reporting, but sold a jack-in-the-box jersey sponsorship, which was like, wow. what? I was hoping for IHOP. It's coming. Probably from Florida. Yeah. Do they have IHOPs in Florida? I don't know. Waffle House. Waffle. So, that'd be wow. amazing. If it's just like Let's all fast food restaurants, just like the battle of the fast food restaurants. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I don't know if that's going to be a thing. I really hope I can buy a jersey without Jack in the Box on it. <laughs> just just or saying. Arby's. Or Arby's. Arby's. If Arby's doesn't get in on this, and it's not just like cardboard origami on all the jerseys, like I'm going to be disappointed because they're cardboard. I don't know if you follow Arby's on social media, but their cardboard origami stuff around nerd culture is second to none quality stuff there so overall like i mean i'm not really excited by any more of this than i already was that's not trying to be negative on on an overwatch league it just i think we're ready to just start to see what the hell is going to happen be mentally prepared it's going to be a shit show the first season this is clearly rushed like they're figuring this out as they go and this is not to knock them like it's a big venture um, but don't come into Overwatch League thinking that season one is going to be what it's going to be like going forward. Like they're very much going to be figuring a lot of this stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's, well, the that's why they League. get. That's why they have a preseason, right? And yes. You can sort some of that out. 
Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Uh, there's probably going to be some roster snafus. Um, they made a big point of like highlighting. They brought out players. Um, they brought out the Korean World Cup squad who won the World Cup. Now we're going to transition to the World Cup talk. But they brought out for the gold ceremony, uh, the gold medal ceremony, pardon me, uh, for the Overwatch World Cup on stage during the Overwatch League announcement. Talked about the teams that the players from the South Korean team were going to be playing in, in the Overwatch League, which I thought was a smart thing. Uh, we have to wait for Flower, though. He'll be playing in Apex again this next season because he's not 18 yet, um, which is a yeah. shame because if you watch the Overwatch World Cup and you want to see how you wish you could play Widowmaker, um, holy crap, Flower, yes. his middle name should be Aimbot because I've never, he's just like mid swing, sniping people in the head. Like South Korea built their entire strategy around flower like if you watch like i think where it really sunk in with me was on one of the hanamura maps where they're just like playing completely out of position and you're like why are they playing out of position because their whole strategy was to just push people into line of sight so that flower could snipe them like it yeah. was like what are they doing oh that's what they're doing <laughs> like yeah i mean especially the usa map Right, you're talking about the USA match right? yep. on, on Hanamura. Like he was their saving grace. I think that's what, isn't that the one that ended in a tie or something like that. Yeah, we had, yeah. we had one one USA match that ended in a tie. But um, I mean, he was their saving grace. And you're right, he was just. I had, I had a coworker go and be like, if there was an aimbot, it was below this guy because he was like <laughs> was just hitting stuff. You were just, how is he doing it? Can someone just train um, an AI with flower? So that'll yeah. be your next aimbot. And I think it was even the the, the follow up map, which was Oasis. Uh, shortly after that, uh, even his Farah accuracy is ridiculous. He was like thirty five percent accuracy on Farah. Yep. And that's like twenty one percent like direct hits. He just nuts. I was like watching it. I'm like, this Farah is just destroying the U.S. And that that's it. I, I think I even afterwards. I think we were even talking. I was like that Farah. That that's it. Like I, they just had the camera on Farah, and it was just like watching. It was like it was the death cam for everyone. I think. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like, it's like we didn't have to. We didn't have to transition away from Flower for like an entire match because all the deaths were happening because of him. Yeah, and, and there was uh. So Flower was like twenty seven and two as Farah, which is <laughs> ridiculous because you know on the other end someone's two and twenty seven, right? Yep. Um, and then there's uh, was it uh. Say, I always script this names like Say Sebiolbi. Um, it was twenty nine and one on Tracer. That uh, combined is like sixty and three almost. Uh, yeah, yeah, they won. Yeah, story <laughs> one. South Korea won. Not surprising. Um, what'll be interesting about Flower? Real quick point before we move on to the rest of the World Cup. But Flower is going to be the first big free agent. Going into Overwatch League after season one, it'd be interesting to see what that ends up looking like, right? Like this is this is the purest example we could have from a traditional sports of like drafting somebody coming in, right? He's not old enough to play. He'll play in Apex season four next season or season five next season, and then he'll go into the Overwatch League. And there could be there should be a bidding war. He was the best player at the World Cup, hands down. So what is that worth, right? It'd be interesting to see. Um, but as you mentioned, South Korea won gold medal. Um, the, their best match, I mean, if you look at it by how it played out, their best matchup was unfortunately for the USA in the quarters, right? Because in the top eight, when they played the USA, the USA kind of got shortchanged a bit. I think the USA would have gone further had they not got matched up against South Korea out of the gate. It was pretty tight. They actually had a statement match and came out and they won Nepal 2-1. 
Um, they were close on Eichenwald at 3-2, and then they had the Hanamura draw, which was nuts, and then it just kind of fell apart. Gibraltar went 2-1, they went 2-0 on Oasis, and South Korea just kind of figured them out and went with it, but it was kind of crazy. Like, it was a good matchup. Like, that was the most entertaining matchup, in my opinion, of the entire tournament. I loved it. Yeah. But oddly enough, it wasn't North America's last chance because out of the fracking blue was Canada, who had no business being in the finals based on the fact that they almost blew it against Australia and had to have like a massive comeback. Like Australia was like up 2-0, and then there was a tight 4-3 on Hanamura, and there was a tight 3-2 on Junkertown, though to be fair, like it was some pretty top-notch play from Canada and Junkertown, and then like a 2-0 in Nepal, just out of nowhere, they freaking win. And then they go up and they have a similar setup against Sweden, where Canada goes out and wins the first match, and then get 2-1, and they're like, uh-oh. And then they came back and won two in a row to beat Sweden, and it was kind of nuts. Like No one would have predicted that Canada was going to be there. They had one of the... I don't want to call it sketchy is the right term, but there was a lot of questions about Canada's lineup, generally speaking, going into <laughs> this tournament, um, especially around XQC. Like a lot of people, like he's a very polarizing figure, so a lot of people were like not anticipating this going well for Canada, and they even gave South Korea a pretty good run for their money in in the finals. Like mm-hmm. it's a four one on paper, but if you watched it, like it was pretty tight. Like again, they showed up at Junkertown. Like Junkertown was a good map for them. Uh, but Numbani was a 5-4. There was a 5-4 yeah. on Hanamura. Like, yep. they well, they I, had a it's, shot. It's the Canadian death ball, right? Yes. The yes. Double, double healer, triple tank, just let Surefor sure play either, like, I don't know, a, a Tracer, a Genji, McCree, and then just sit on points. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, I mean... I think Shurfor was something like 30% of their damage because yep. he was the only one playing a DPS character. Um, everybody else was just just turtling. That's it. And that was their strategy. And it, it sort of kind of worked in spots, right? Like yep. Bonnie was a perfect example where um, it, they held them at one point in time with like 0.22 meters until Flower came yeah, in. until like Flower. Barrage, right? Flower. Right. Full stop. But... It, but again, they held him for, and it looked like they were going to win out with 0.22 meters left to go. Yep. And flowers all. Well, yeah. Flowers be flower. flower. But yeah, exactly. it was, they were figuring them out. Like, I think this was the pattern for Canada throughout the entire World Cup, which is like they got comfortable, they shook off the nerves, they learned about the team they were up against. This is a hard one to, t- to try to uh, practice for. They talked well, about it in the in the press conference after the fact, where like they mostly were just like scrimming with then with USA, right? Like they didn't get as much matchup against some of these more tougher teams as different meta, and like, but they figured it out quickly. And like, what could they have done with a little bit more scrim time against some of these tougher squads, or like a little bit longer matchup? Well, what I heard, and it wasn't from an IHOP guy, was that actually. <laughs> uh, Korea's uh, uh, South Korea's like um, scrim partner was Canada, so they really? knew each other. Yeah, that's actually why they came the same close. It was it wasn't at the press conference. It was actually uh, well, it was, I think it was one of the uh, casters, one of the analysts, who talked about like they had done scrims. I don't know if it was pr- like how close it was to World Cup, right? But they definitely had scrimmed each other, so they they sort of kind of knew each other, which is why it made it closer. Um, but I, you, you talked about it, like I think Canada just 
knew they were already past the point in which anybody expected them to get to, right? Yep, yep. So they had nothing to lose where there was so much space to lose if you lose to Canada that it had to have been extra pressure on uh, South Korea's uh, team. And so I think that just allowed Canada to, to adapt and try some ridiculous stuff from time to time um, and turtle it up and be like, hey, if we can just hang in here uh, with this triple tank, double healer thing, sure for it, whatever. Like, you're just go do your thing like you normally do. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it's... It, it was surprisingly close. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely and nobody some, would have called it. No, no. There's definitely some obvious weaknesses. Like they had a real hard time protecting the back line. Like they were getting sniped. The healer was just getting taken out constantly. And if they were able to do it this good with that poor of back line protection, if they could have filled that hole, like they would have had a real shot. So you end up getting South Korea with the gold medal, Canada with silver. Um, interesting storyline, too, um, going into this was France, which was basically rogue. Representing France. You're right, right, right. Um, Rogue's last chance to play together because they did not get an Overwatch League spot. They ended up letting that go. And I think there were some reports that um, ESPN did around, like, basically that team was going to secure a spot, but Blizzard wanted an even number, and they never got that 14th team in order to, to allow them in. So they had to break up the team. They're all going to go to various Overwatch League organizations. Their last chance to play together. Um, and they ended up doing okay, but not as well as people thought they were going to do. They ended up, you know, 3 one China, which was expected. They got destroyed by South Korea, which I think was expected. But then they ended up losing to Sweden, which was not expected. Um, and Sweden ends up taking the bronze. So not the best ending to the uh, the story that is the Rogue Overwatch League team. Um, I know I think ESPN was doing a profile on them. You know, still cool, but, like, would have been cooler if they would have made it a little bit uh, further yeah. along in the tournament as far as, like, final finish. But... Definitely cool to see those guys play together at least one more time before the Overwatch League kicked off. But overall, like the fans were hyped. Uh, they had moved the Overwatch World Cup into what used to be the StarCraft Arena at BlizzCon. So you got like the similar mm-hmm. stage setup to what we had last year, but now you got like the whole thing. It was filled pretty much like they were holding people out from the room for the entire the entire weekend, which was great to see. Crowd was super hyped. Everyone was behind Canada. All of a sudden, like everybody went home, made Canada signs, and bought Canada flags. Apparently, because when you walked into that arena during the grand or during the gold medal match, there was like Canada flags everywhere. Um, but really well done. Like props to Blizzard. Like mm-hmm. it really was their last chance to kind of make an Overwatch League esports statement before or before the actual Overwatch League proper starts. And that's what they did. We got to see some of the team color stuff. Some of the though it was very gimmicky how they implemented it because I still think they're figuring out how to implement it. But we got to see the new like free form kill cam stuff. We got to see a bit of the uh, smooth cam um, third player third person stuff that they so all the stuff they announced beforehand was on display. I think it worked out fairly well, but it did feel like we traded red and blue for red and white in most matches right, right. Um, which was you know okay i guess but hard to track across matches right because it's like oh white was this team before now white's this team this time um, that will probably be different when we get into the overwatch league where it's a little you know not every country uses a combination of red white and blue but there was uh you had mentioned like kind of their their last chance to make a statement for overwatch league um i there was a graphic i'm on Twitter, I'm trying to think. I don't know if it was Manny or not, but somebody, I think Manny might have actually retweeted it, um, it that there was uh, the, the numbers from the stream, right? And so they looked at the average viewership, total stream viewership of uh, Overwatch on any given day is like 30,000, something like kind of minor, right? Or it was like some of the other Apex stuff was like around the 30,000s. Um, but the World Cup pulled anywhere between like 250 and 280 
or 290 at any given time, almost ba- basically breaking 300, uh, which is a giant jump, right? Huge. So it, it shows that there uh, there are numbers that will turn out for tournaments and, and competitive play when it's actually promoted. Now, this, this takes away from the fact that, like, it was also, you know, through DirecTV, BlizzCon app, anything like that. So that's, I think, straight Twitch numbers. But it was also being streamed elsewhere, and BlizzCon, really, if you had, like, the, the ticket, that was, like, your core viewing experience anyway. Right, yep. Yeah, so that's interesting numbers. I, I think it's... it's. I'm skeptical long-term. I will remain skeptical long-term, but, like, <laughs> things are looking fairly good. Now, it's a big difference between having a one-off weekend tournament and maintaining interest across a league for, you know, many, many, many weeks Right. So we'll see how that plays out, see if the quality of play stays up. Um, but overall, like it was definitely – that was a good statement from Blizzard. It's still hard as fuck to watch. It really is. Like It's still very hard to follow. But we will see. It will continue to improve. And overall, like a good trotting out for Overwatch from a viewership standpoint. So Agreed. we shall see come December. Yeah, that's going to do it for the Overwatch World Cup. I'm going to take another break, and when we come back, we've got Jewel Scott to talk about the HGC Grand Final Tournament that took place at BlizzCon. We're also going to talk to Sam Braithwaite about the uh, past year of the HGC and what we, how he has in store coming up for uh, Season 2 when we come back. <laughs> And we're back, and it's time to uh, talk a little HGC. And joining us to do that is Jules Scott from Convert to Raid and Torn Think Tank. Jules, thank you so much for joining us. It is my pleasure, Brian. It's good to see you. I just got to see you a couple, like, maybe like a week ago. Has it been a week? It's been a whole week, I know. It's uh, kind of awesome. crazy. BlizzCon, I miss you. <laughs> uh, I, I I have not recovered. I don't even want to think about BlizzCon. I'm still having nope. like the afternoon BlizzCon nap. <laughs> just, like, I get Me just too. Tired. Yeah. Oh, for real. It is it is real. Like I'm sleeping ten hours a night, and then it's two o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm like, I need sleep right now. Yeah. It's for those totally. of you that thinks this whole esports thing is just glorious and full of uh, grandeur. I, I promise you. It is not. <laughs> but we have a lot to get to, so let's jump into it. The first point that I want to start with is probably what I believe to be the biggest story to come out of the HGC, short of who won, which is Team Dignitas. I think almost everybody had them down as their pick, at least to make it to the finals, if not to win the whole thing, and they don't even make it past quarters. That was a huge upset, like major huge upset, and... I I personally felt like it was going to be Fnatic who was going to get to the finals. It felt real. It felt good. Um, but to see to see Dignitas go up against Team Expert in the quarters and looking at how they performed, it didn't look like Team Dignitas of old. It did not look like they had any confidence. They didn't look like they knew what they were up against with Expert, even though they played them for how many times during HGC, just regular season. I don't right. know what happened. I don't know what happened to them, uh, but they didn't look good at all. They did not. And, like, do you think they were looking past them? Because, you know, they had more than likely MVP Black. I don't think anybody thought that Team Freedom had a chance against MVP Black. Was this a case no. of them looking past Expert to that Korean matchup? Or is there something else going on here? Well, what I saw from watching that matchup against from Dignitas to Team Expert, they did not take into account that there's going to be some wacky drafts thrown at them. They needed to prepare for that. Um, and if you look at game two, 
when they played uh, Towers of Doom. And it was like the expert brings out ta- uh, Tracer, Tassadar, and Varian against Dignitas. And, and of course, Dignitas first picks Abathur. They, they're like, that's the first pick they go for. Yep. Um, it, this is something that they needed to prepare for because expert has been known for those really wacky off drafts and no one has been playing Varian in, in phase two. That is, that's been like kind of the no and then all of a sudden it shows up. So expert knew how to just get the, that Achilles heel in. And that matchup was, it was a, if, if, if you want to go back and watch a great VOD, from those matchups, Dignitas, Team Expert, Towers of Doom, Game 2, watch that one because it was a great come-from-behind win for Expert to take that match. And a hell of a way for Dignitas to lose, right? Like, they, it looked like, yeah. okay, maybe they're going to recover this. Like, that first match was a fluke. They, they got a little taken advantage of in the draft. It got a little bit away from them. They, they will get it together in Game 2, and they were like, nope, sorry, nope. see ya. And if you watch those, those uh, interview videos beforehand, those guys had a lot of swagger. They were walking around going, we got this. We want to take this BlizzCon. Not as much swagger as Fnatic had, but they definitely <laughs> had some swag. Oh, my gosh. Fnatic's, like, interview videos, I sometimes I just wanted to punch them because it was like, are you that? I, I mean, how, how can you be that cocky? Yes, you're the midseason brawl champions, but still have some humility because it was just, like, literally saying, oh, nobody's as good as we are, ever. Weird BlizzCon story. We had breakfast at Subway next to Fnatic. They were there. Oh, like you? They were jerseyed up. They had, like, their cameras and were running around, like, IRL in it. And they were just, like, having the time of their lives, talking shit, like... They, I mean, it was not just for the interview. They were not just hamming it up. They were just generally speaking a team that clearly looked like they were going to just, they felt like they were just going to demolish everybody. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, um, and I'm, I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but I mean, going through the group stages when you watch them and they were, they lost a couple of maps. I think they lost one or two in the whole phase. I'm trying to remember. Um, I studied the VODs for this for this round, but I know they took they lost a map and they were not feeling like they had that swagger that they had going into midseason brawl. You know, those guys walked in there and they were like, We are going to win. This is our time. We're gonna do this. I don't know what's going on with Fnatic, but they didn't look like that team anymore. Not at all. Yeah, it was I mean, generally speaking, this feels like the story of the HGC this year, right? Like all these teams that just seem to have lost their identity by the time they made it to BlizzCon. Like yep. what you saw going into BlizzCon, what you saw in the midseason brawls are not what you saw coming into this finals when everything was said and done. Not at all. And like Roll Twenty is a great example of that. You watch phase two of HGC and Roll Twenty just literally rolled over every team they did they came in there they looked confident they had these different drafts and different structures and they knew exactly how to take it and then they got towards the end of that and i think they finally lost their first match like towards the, like the like the eighth week or something of that craziness um their style and their but they, they had this confidence that they didn't have in phase one and then they get to blizzcon and i'm looking at them i don't i seriously don't know what they decided to do when they started group stages. But it, this is my team. Roll20 has been my NA team for the entirety of HGC uh, North America. Why are they putting Glaurong on Brightwing? I, I don't understand it. It's like he lost a bet. Not, 
Seriously, Brian. I'm like, like, what happened? He used to be the guy that you'd put on Zeratul, you put guy you put on Graymane, the guy you go in for the carry. I mean, he had some, um, you know, Medivh plays, the, the insane stuff. Why is he on freaking Brightwing? Yes, Brightwing can make some plays, but they needed to have him in that role, and they didn't, and it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like Roll20 anymore. No, and it clearly did not work for them because they ended up going no. in the quarters as well, 2-1. And quite frankly, like, Ballistics, just their performance throughout the tournament, they were easy. They should have been easy pickings. Like Roll20 had the best shot, in my opinion, of the NA yes. teams to get out into the semifinals. And by even by watching that, like they made some bad decisions. The Brightwing pick was one of them. Like they yep. had their destiny in their hands, so to speak. And they should have easily. Now, could they have beat Fnatic? Not a chance in hell, I don't think. No. <laughs> but no. they could have at least gotten into the semis and pushed North America forward as you know a region. And I feel like it was theirs to blow, and they blew it. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the Ballistics versus Roll Twenty matchups. They went for the sparkle that they've always done, you know, that that whole like Medivh Diablo combinations that they were doing that really, really worked well for them. And in game one, they took a Samuro pick and they put Goku on it. I have nothing against Goku. I think he's a star player. He can Genji it up like anybody else. But that should have been a Glarong pick. That should have been a place where you put your like your carry. I don't right. know who their carry is anymore. <laughs> And then they go to game. They go to game three because you know they take that map off of ballistics. And they're like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And then they go game three. Their desperation pick is Lost Vikings into every single counter that counters Lost Vikings. And it was like they just looked pathetic. They got ripped to shreds. It was just like, "What are you guys doing? Why are you making these picks?" I think that they think that they are known for the sparkle picks, like that <laughs> big like combination sparkly pick. Great strategy and versus like. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> they're they're known for the unpredictability, but the unpredictability needs to have a plan. Yep. And it's like they had these picks, they had these comps, and they just threw them in there, not really caring who they were going up against. Yeah, and that's the worst thing. And I think I've seen a lot of NA teams fall into that trap, which is like, we've got a plan. And as soon as that plan goes sideways, somebody picks somebody we're not expecting. We don't know how to counter it. Or no matter what they pick, here's who we've decided to play. And if they pick hard counters against us, we still feel like we're going to be better on what we know than trying to adapt our style. And I really believe it's just due to a lack of a deep hero pool on some of those teams. Yep. And Agreed. they get up to a different meta. You know, the Korean meta is different than it is in North America. And they just maybe didn't feel prepared or felt that they were still stronger on a hard counter than they would be on the true, you know, counter that they should have picked against what was being picked by Ballistics. Yeah, and I mean, that really showed itself if you were going back to HGC, the regular season, Gale Force Esports. They'd come together with this like comp that they think is a perfect comp that's like choreographed for this specific map. I'm talking about Brax's Holdout for an, for an example. They'd come in with this perfect comp, this perfect strategy, and they'd just execute it and they'd win. But that does not win you games when you have an opponent who can adapt to what you've chosen. Yep. It works one time. Yep. And then they ban whatever you have, and now you're screwed. And it's just like, this is what I've seen from NA. I'm very proud to say that NA made it to the quarterfinals, the top eight, um, with all three teams there. That was awesome. Yes. But it made me very sad to see that, <laughs> that that's as far as they could they could execute it. Because honestly, Tempo Storm, just kind of jumping around into the Tempo Storm, 
they did better than expected, but they looked like crap in games two and three. Yeah, totally. They, they looked horrible. Yeah, yeah. They got their they got their little bit of revenge for the forty o dribbling on towers of doom that they took at the Western Clash. But beyond <laughs> that, like that was just like their consolation prize. Like congratulations, now we're gonna smack you in the face for two straight maps. Oh, and they got dismantled in games two and three. It was like a thirteen, like a thirteen-minute game was game two. I was like, "Oh crap!" Like I got, I got up to pee and I came back and it was over. And I'm like, <laughs> "All right, well, on to map three. Agreed. And so it was a better showing for NA than it than was anticipated, and it's got some good legs going into like. Who the heck knows? I'm watching the roster apocalypse happen right now. So who the heck knows what we're getting into for the next season in 2018? But it was a better showing for NA. People were actually saying NA is not a region to count out anymore. Thank you. Yes, which is progress. <laughs> but I, I could also make the argument that Europe looked good, but not great. Like we talked about, like both Dignitas and Fnatic did not look as good as we expected them to look. And it feels like this is almost their shot. Like it, it, I'm really disappointed because I felt like you can cover up NA's faults by saying that, oh, they made it to the quarters and they had a strong showing and roll 20, you know, almost. But like, if you look at it on paper and you looked at how it played out, this was their year to go much deeper than they did. It is. And Fnatic looked untouchable since when midseason brawl came in, like they, they fought really hard to get the, the win over Dignitas, but it wasn't like after that point, they were like untouchable for like months. You could not take a map off of them. They were just like, they had everything. And I, I still cannot tell you and any of you what has changed. It has to be some kind of internal thing that's going on because Dignitas, I can tell, yeah, you lost mid season brawl. You lost a tight match. It was a really, really, really good competition. You probably got your confidence shaken and you didn't come back from it. Fnatic was on the top of the freaking world. So what happened? I don't know. Because like you said, I didn't see anything where it looked like... It's not like we have a game plan. We're really good at these things. Someone found out a hard way to counter us. Like it didn't play out like that. Nope. They were playing no. like literally like you put f like five dudes in like different jerseys. Like it's like, ah, we found these guys just like hanging out in the back and we threw some like Dignitas and Fnatic jerseys on them and sent them out there. Like it's... <laughs> And, and it was it was kind of disappointing because I no. I don't know like I'm always torn so uh, to switch the conversation a bit along this topic is like we look at MVP Black and MVP Black has always been the underachievers of the HGC right like they were always the ones that were like up oh, hands down Korea MVP Black and then they haven't actually been able to do it as consistently as everyone expected them to but right. a three O of Team Freedom a three O of Team Expert and to be fair they had a pretty damn easy path to the grand finals the way things played yes, out they did but then they three one Fnatic. And it's like, are they great? Or was everybody else just not that good? And I, it feels kind of... Not to take credit away from them. They played well, right. but it does kind of feel like it did not turn out as competitive as you would have expected it to based on what you saw, at least up to the midseason brawl and even going into the grand finals. I watched... So I, the Team Freedom versus MP, MVP Black matchup in the quarterfinals, they looked like the coordination machine that everybody expected them to be. Um, special call out to Tist on his Murden because that guy could open up opportunities that I have never seen. I, I you didn't think that he could do what he did, and he did. Um, Team Freedom dis got dismantled completely and utterly dismantled. They didn't look as strong. Um, when they moved into the like the semis, yeah, it, it was like expert. They just lost everything. They just like, fell apart to everything. <laughs> dismantled Team Expert, but. 
getting to the finals, it was interesting because I there were people in the audience. I was watching the finals, and people were like, "I don't know, Fanatic may still have a shot at this." And I'm going, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> MVP Black has everything on this. They're going to take it, and maybe they'll take a game off of it." But they were just like, they just they rolled it in. I think MVP Black just knows how to coordinate as a five-man unit better than any other team in the HGC right now. They just – there's a predictability about their movements that just – I don't know. Do those guys practice like 18 hours a day to do that? <laughs> I don't I know. I have no idea. They're, they're like no the uh, Mex and Pacific Rim. They're just like mind-melded together and all of them know exactly what <laughs> Doesn't it feel like do. that, though, when you watch them? It's when you watch of... them, they – yeah. It's like mind meldy. It is. And what's weird is you used the word predictable, which I find interesting because they're not like this crazy, sporadic, like doing things out of left field type of team. Nope. You can know they're going to do it. There's just nothing you can do about it. That's very much what it looked like. It's like yep. they were methodical. They did exactly what they needed to do to win. Fnatic knew what was coming. And all they could do was stand there and put their arms in the air and hope that it wasn't too bad. And they looked – so Fanatics – the finals with Fanatic and MVP Black was interesting. I, I was in the audience. I was actually able to sit next to Trixler, uh, one of the casters for EUHGC. And he told me before the match started that Fanatic had told him they were not confident today. And they weren't confident at all for the entire day. They felt like they were off. They felt like their synergy wasn't there. And he said, Fanatic doesn't look like Fanatic. And I was just like – well, I'm not surprised. They're going up against <laughs> they're going up against some tough teams. And uh but usually those like I were talking about earlier, those guys come out, they're all swagger, they're all, you know, doing doing the um uh, I don't know. What was the thing that they did in the earlier part of the the matchup where, you know, basically they're just kind of taunting their opponents. Like they're doing that kind of thing, the sprays and the yep. and the the B steps and all that stuff. Um but they didn't feel like that when they played MVP Black. No. At all. No. Um, so there's been rumors. I have no substanti- substantiation against this, but there are rumors that there are internal conflicts within that team. It, it would certainly uh, look like it. Yeah. And it's been rumors on Reddit. There's been rumors and articles that I've taken a look at. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the roster apocalypse hits them after this point because there's something not right about and I, I, I couldn't tell you which player it was. I they're all really talented. Yeah, it's it's such a weird scenario. I think not I, I don't want to call it disappointing, but I will say like coming into this, I thought there was easily four or five teams that had a good shot. Like one of the things that the HGC has suffered from in the past is like this very thin top tier, right? It's like yeah, yeah. MVB Black, one other team, giant golf the rest of the HGC. And this year yeah. is like, this is the year that it's not going to be like that. But when you look at how it turned out, it was MVP black and everybody else. I'm curious who were, who are your top like four or five that you thought were going to have a shot at this? I thought MVP black had a shot. I thought Dignitas had a shot. Mm-hmm. I thought fanatic had a shot. Right. And then I would have put ballistics up there just by the nature of like, if you look at it on paper, like roll 20 esports, which was my like dark horse pick. Tempo yep. Storm was always going to be easy. Like, in my opinion, I didn't think Tempo Storm had a chance. Expert Agreed. and Freedom were ones that were going to go out. So I thought... Agreed. And now, I'm not saying I would have placed a million dollar bets on each one of those teams. But if any of them would have won, I would not have been surprised. Like, I thought that the there was they were close enough in skill 
that there was a shot that any one of those five could win. I certainly would not have predicted that the gap in play quality and gap in results was going to be as drastic as it was between MVP Black and everybody else. And Fnatic, you know, I'm taking a little bit away from Fnatic because obviously, like, they 3-0'd Ballistics and they 2-1 Tempo Storm, and that first match was a bit of a joke. And they, so they played well, but they were not the Fnatic I was expecting to see. If we got the Fnatic we were expecting to see... I think that goes five maps, and I think Fnatic yep. has like a coin flip shot of beating MVP Black. Yeah, I was really, really, really hoping that we were going to get a really explosive matchup between Ballistics and Roll20. That mm-hmm. was where I was hoping it was going to be like, this is going to be the turning point. And it just, it, oof, I was so disappointed. So disappointed. It was my team too. Um, so I was kind of bummed. But yeah, this is about where I expected the results to hit i expected mvp black to take it all if i were to bet at all it would have been that but i did not i did not expect the fanatic that we saw i'm disappointed as you are with the fanatic that we saw maybe you didn't use the words to disappoint it but i am going to use it (laughs) (laughs) anyone sending nasty tweets that was jules now brian i am jules rpg on twitter um (laughs) now i mean and i think that all five of fanatics players are extremely talented they're diverse they have a, a they they have probably one of the deepest hero pools that you've got out there, but there's something not right about that that team, and it really showed on that stage, and it was disappointing. That finals was just blah. It was so blah. It was. I was in that audience, and it was just the energy was clearly towards Fnatic, and when they didn't perform, everybody was just like, "What?" And the place emptied out. Yeah, when it was. Won. It, it was, was super really disappointing. Sad. I. I don't know. I think generally speaking, I, I I'm just sad generally about the grand finals. To be honest, like I really thought we were in for some pretty epic matches, and almost everything disappointed as far as like the quality of the matchup between the teams. Like you said, that roll right. twenty ballistics one should have been a shootout. Like it should have been the most exciting match of the tournament, and it wasn't. And then ballistic just rolled over for a eh, fanatic which made for a boring semifinals. And, of course, MVP Black was always going to steamroll team expert. It just... The HGC, in my opinion, still has a ways to go before a format like this at BlizzCon will have exciting matches all the way through. Like, it okay. is... there. I My opinion is, is there's not enough quality teams yet, not enough quality players to distribute across all of the HGC for this format to still deliver nonstop action. And I think this proved that out. It's. I'm not saying that I'm cheering against it. I'm certainly not. Like, But it was markedly less exciting than last year's HGC at BlizzCon. Yes. And that, that's, that's a shame. Because this is the first year that we've actually had HGC as a unit yep. to bring these teams through. Um, you know, I'm still going to be the optimistic fan. I've been a fan of HGC since 2015 of all of the, you know, iterations of the different competitions that have been happening. Um, I'm encouraged by the fact that we have these quote unquote farm teams that are coming up through the open division. There's, t- there's a way to bring in new talent um, the roster apocalypse that's happening right now is very interesting because there's going to be some huge shakeups that are happening on these teams. It looks like nearly every single one of them is going to have roster swaps that, and they look like roster swaps within HGC teams. They're not going out there and grabbing the free agents. Right. They're swapping within rosters, which is going to make it very, very interesting for our 2018. So, 
I'm with you. I'm like, let's bring it on for 2018's BlizzCon and make it so these matches are just explosive and the whole place erupts because it's so awesome. Yep. I, I, I want to go that. back. I want to go back to 2016 where you couldn't find a seat for like any HGC matchup. Like all the heroes esports that went on in 2016 was great. Like, yeah, I couldn't peel myself away from that stage this year. Not so much so. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I will say this. All the credit in the world to Blizzard for the HGC. If anything, the HGC is the esports portion of Blizzard that I think is doing it right because they're not trying to overextend. They're not charging right. franchise fees. They're not going all Overwatch League. And I don't want to turn this into an Overwatch League segment. But <laughs> it's they're doing it right. But it's going to be slow, right? Like, it takes yeah. time to build up a scene the way that they are. And, you know, Heroes is for all intents and purposes, the number three MOBA, right? Like, you're going to get people right. playing League and Dota before you get to this. So it's going to take time yeah. to pull people over and to get that quality of player up. But, you know, its signs are good. Like, I, I think it's not the end of the world. This is clearly not as exciting as before, but far more balanced. Like, I think the regular season, the midseason brawl especially, was far more exciting. You know, the Western Clash was great. Like, that's, I think, why I was especially disappointed, because yep. signs were good leading up to BlizzCon. Like you mentioned, there was a lot of great matches out there. Fnatic was looking great. Dignitas was looking great. You had some powerhouses pre-BlizzCon, yep. and just for some reason, the nerves got to them. You know, the the egos and the personalities just couldn't make it all the way through the year. But they've got, what, roughly two months now to kind of sort it out. We'll have the roster apocalypse, obviously. Like, we'll see where that all shakes out. We'll see what free agents get signed. But they got some time to recharge and reload. But maybe Blizzard looks at this. Maybe they, they tune the schedule next year. I don't know. I don't know the core of why this happened. But I would hope somebody at Blizzard looks at this and goes, hmm... Like we, I feel like we got to the end of the wick a little faster than we expected to. Yeah, yeah. And the, the the way that we saw things come together with the way the competitions come through, I will say BlizzCon should have been like what the Western Clash was. Like the Western Clash was – I'm sorry, mid-season brawl. The mid-season brawl was incredible. I stayed up to watch that thing. It was like the, the games were all over the place. It was all – it was just, oh, so, so good. I don't know what magic we lost at BlizzCon, and maybe it was just the fact that the teams just didn't have the height. Maybe here's a theory. Here's a theory. You've got mid-season brawl going in there, and people have never experienced this before. Right. It's the first time you've ever done it. Yep. But everybody goes BlizzCon. That's my ultimate goal. Blah 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 blah. And they're like, hey, that's the that's the apex. That's the that's the top of the mountain. We got to hit BlizzCon. But they didn't come into mid-season brawl looking at that. And maybe that's why it was so much better. Like they just psyched themselves out. Maybe. I mean, that really could have been their, their ultimate goal being coming to BlizzCon as the apex, like, because they were calling fanatic the world champions from mid season brawl. They were, they beat everybody else and they became world champions. And then they had this confusion where they were talking about ballistics last year's BlizzCon champions. And I was like, wah, wah. Like, wait, is that a consolation prize? Like, second place. It didn't feel right, right, right? It didn't yeah. feel right. So, I, I don't know. It's just This is just my theory as a fan. It's also uh, a little weird. And, like, you wouldn't call, like, in League, we don't call the MSI champion, like, the world champion. Like, there's one world champion. You win at BlizzCon. You beat everybody. Like, that's the thing. But uh, the That's way, worlds. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird. I don't know. Well, don't we'll know. see. But, I mean, it... 
overall, like it, I was glad I got to watch it. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, kudos to MVP Black for finally living up to the to the name. Finally, I mean they've they've been up and down, and people have been like, eh, "Are they as good as people say they are?" At least for now, they are because they're. Wait, are we allowed to call them the world champions, or are they the BlizzCon champions, or? I consider them to be world champions now. They beat out Fnatic for world champion. So is it that we have bi world champion? <laughs> like it's bi yearly? I, I, yeah, I really don't know. HGC needs to figure this out. They do. Like it's a, we need some better nomenclature here. Get it together, Blizzard. <laughs> God. What? Uh, so that was the HGC of BlizzCon Jewels. Thank you so much for joining me to uh, fill in all my complete gaps in knowledge around Heroes of the Storm. Uh, why don't you tell our audience where they can find your stuff? Awesome. You can check me out on Twitter at JulesRPG. Uh, you can find me on, I'm a recurring guest on Convert to Raid podcast, which is ConvertToRaid.com, and my own podcast, which is TorrenThinkTank.com. Thank you very much, Jules. Next up is the interview we did at BlizzCon with Sam Braithwaite, eSports franchise lead for Heroes of the Storm, StarCraft II, and StarCraft Remastered. He goes a little bit into detail about the last year in the HGC, what do you think went well, what do you think didn't go well, and what we can look forward to in year two of the very ambitious efforts that Blizzard has put into Heroes of the Storm. So I'm here with Sam Braithwaite, eSports franchise lead for Heroes of the Storm, among many, many other games. You're a very busy man these days. StarCraft yeah, 2, StarCraft, StarCraft Remastered. StarCraft Remastered, yeah. Oh, man, I have, that actually gave me an extra question because that's great. And we're here primarily to talk about Heroes of the Storm. When we talked last year, you had just started in the role. The HGC was a thing but had not started yet. And here we are a year later. How are you feeling? Dude, I am feeling awesome. Uh, it's... Unreal, almost. It's funny because uh, I was just telling the previous ones, like I was here a year ago talking about how this, all this stuff was going to happen, and I'm here, and it's actually happening, and it did happen, and it went really well. Um, we're stoked. Uh, the show itself, HGC Finals, is going smoothly. Uh, we're getting good viewership, good games, good series. Um, the HGC season in, in general was just awesome. It was everything that we wanted it to be, um, and we really view it as a foundation to kind of move forward for esports for heroes. Awesome. How how much of that do you owe to the updates that were done with 2.0? Like, obviously, a major non-esports related thing that has a huge impact on the game was meant to not only bring more people to play the game, but make the game more understandable, make it more people just interested in the game in general. Do you, do you think a lot of that has had impact on viewership or people's interest in the game? As well as because the HEC is very much about the open format and people being able to come in, do you yeah. feel like that can be attributed to more interest from people who wanted to play and participate in the HEC? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we knew going into 2017 that Heroes 2.0 would be happening. And so when we were creating the HEC, we really wanted to make an esports program that would do justice to Heroes 2.0. You know, like it was a big update, a big reveal. We actually ended up doing it at our HGC studio, which was super nice. Um, it was everything that we wanted it to be. Heroes 2.0 was just incredibly successful. We got great viewership because of that, and we could see it in the weekly broadcasts uh, ever since then. Awesome. So going back to the gameplay bit, some. So obviously MOBAs are big in esports. Um, the League of Legends, the Dotas of the world, command these massive audiences. Blizzard just in general entering the space, obviously, kind of coming from behind and trying to figure out how to do that. How much of that do you think puts pressure on you? Do you look at those other games and know that you're in that same genre and go, oh man, we still got so much to do, like I feel like we're behind? Or do you go, you know, we're happy with the niche where we're at, this is doing really well, like we want to grow it our way, and you know, those games exist, but for us, for the most part, we just care about our world. Totally. Um, I... 
do not feel threatened or like uh, I don't. I do not feel like we're behind or anything like that. Um, I've been in esports long enough to where I've. I used to feel like that um, several years ago. I would always compare what I was doing because I worked in several different games um, in esports in my career, and I'd always compare myself to the biggest or the best or what's happening, um, rather than focusing on what's right for our fans and our community. Because every game is different. Every game needs something else, and ultimately, esports is popularity. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if I do the best job or a good job. And same with any other esport. It all depends on how active the game is and how popular the game is. And so there's a certain limit to working in esports of what you can control. And like at the end of the day, viewership is, yes, determined by marketing and community and the event and whether or not it looks good and feels good. But at the end of the day, the real viewership is how many people are playing your game, how many people are participating. And so it took me a while to kind of like emotionally grow out of that. Um, but now I look at it with joy. Um, I was up until 3.30 in the morning watching Worlds, um, stayed up to watch their opening ceremony, got to see uh, Chow dancing and masked. And like, <laughs> it's, that's really cool. That's exciting. And I look at that with um, awe, with like, wow, you guys are, that was awesome. Like, the fact that this weekend in gaming had the BlizzCon opening ceremony and theirs was great too, it, it allows us to learn from each other and to kind of take what they're doing and make some changes. And, I've, and I know that they do the same. Um, for us, if we really look at esports as a whole, if we bring a fan into esports, if they bring a fan into esports, who, whatever game they're watching, once somebody gets into esports, that's something that's going to be a lifelong habit and something that they're now accustomed to, that they understand, that they'll yep. talk about, that they'll tell your friends about. And ultimately, it just benefits everybody in the industry. Um, people like to think that we like are pitted against each other, that we're like, it's competition. People who are fans of, of a game or esports are fans of esports. People who work in esports are fans of esports. I love Heroes of the Storm. I play the shit out of it. <laughs> I grind it. But that doesn't mean that I can't appreciate competition at its highest. Is that, and I think that's what esports boils down to, is that um, people who are diehard sports fans or esports fans, usually it doesn't just be one game. Usually it's just somebody that has a thirst for competition that understands that what I am watching right now is a treat. And if you take a step back and realize that I'm watching people do what is humanly impossible and they are literally the best in the world at, and no matter the game, if you just go into it with that mindset and sit down and be like, this is an experience I'm about to get into, it's so awesome. No matter what you're watching, Super Smash Bros., CSGO, Heroes, Overwatch, they're all great. If you just say, I am watching the best of the best compete. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. It, it, it kind of takes me to my next question, too, which you've kind of partially answered. Blizzard has made a name for themselves by taking genres that maybe are not as accessible to the average gamer. I mean, World of Warcraft is a perfect example of that from the EverQuest days. And they've done the same thing with Heroes of the Storm in a lot of ways. I know people who wouldn't touch a MOBA with a 10-foot pole that play the hell out of Heroes of the Storm. Yeah. Does that make you adjust your approach to how you manage esports or how you look at the ecosystem around Heroes of the Storm when it comes to the competitive play, knowing that you have this different type of audience that might be participating in the game or looking to get into the open scene? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I learned is that in the past, uh, in my esports experiences, I found that the people who were watching were watching because they want, like me, they wanted to experience the best of the best competing. Um, throughout the year, I've been doing just a lot of polls, community research. Um, my web team just does a ton of them, and they're great. 
With HGC, what we're finding is that people watch HGC to get better at the game. Mm -hmm. That's the number one reason why people watch. But that's not the number one reason why people watch other esport titles. Right. And so for us, that changes how we do things and how we approach it. So to answer your question, like, absolutely. Um, we've made changes, significant changes, and like our plans going into next year are focusing more on being able to provide tools to take a casual viewer or somebody that's never watched esports and get them engaged in esports by giving them tools to get better at the game. And that goes with creating the right website, making sure that our pros are creating content, that we're surfacing said content. Um, and so like, that's kind of how we're going to be approaching it is how do we leverage the broadcast to level up people's gameplay and what that means we're still trying to figure out, but I think next year you're going to start seeing some changes in broadcast, website, assets that's more focused on helping people improve their skills. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I've always, when you look at like Gillian Dredd, for example, in the show that they do and just like all the kind of content they've created, like it's very much that kind of thread, right? Like yeah. there's that, you almost could call it like, and this, I don't mean this in a belittling way, but like the, the gateway esport, right? Like if you legitimately want to get into esports but also want a game that you could reasonably play well right like yeah. nobody's watching worlds like i'm gonna be as good as faker like yeah. no one believes that if they do they're a little crazy um but they can look at something like here's the storm like this is something i play with my friends all the time like i i watch this because it's like watching a streamer right like it's almost like that next step up so it's very interesting that you, you guys have recognized that and kind of like oh we're gonna adjust our approach yeah. to that because it kind of fits the audience so one thing i know you didn't ask but just to give you my opinion on something um i think that's what makes mobas the powerhouse that it is in terms of esports um when I look at Counter-Strike and when I watch Counter-Strike, I genuinely think I can't do that, right? And yep. when I watch sports, I'm like, I can't do that. But I disagree with uh, Faker, I agree with. <laughs> Great example to use. But um, when I watch MOBAs, I think to myself, I, I can do that because it's five-person game, right? And you look at like what each individual person is doing, and when you're watching, you're not just highlighted on that one person and watching that one person's everything like you might right. do in basketball or counter-strike because there are those big carry moments right mm -hmm. but you watch the rotations and it just seems like yeah like you you don't really notice the little tiny intricate things that they do you just look at them playing in general and you go oh yeah like if i was in this situation i'd go take the merc camp oh they're taking the merc camp like yeah that's what i would you know like it yep. it triggers that like oh man like i would have done that like i i could do that too and mobas are i think a unique breed and that's why they're so popular yep. is that um they're approachable in a way to where you think i can go and do that um that doesn't work with sports. Right. Yeah, it's, um, and not to undersell MOBAs, but it's more of like decision-making reflexes, which feel like something that you can learn versus like, yes. can I flick my mouse in the exact right pattern to get that right. headshot? Like, yeah, so like, and, and that's like a great example of StarCraft, right? StarCraft and Heroes. For me, it's a, such a different approach because yep. I look at StarCraft with the, I'm watching LeBron James. I'm watching um, whoever else you want to name is like a messy, right? Like yep. there's StarCraft players that have that, legacy where it's just i watch those two guys and there's no way i can practice for five years and i would never beat them right yep. but with heroes I, I i think that i could maybe try like there's a chance right and like i think that chance is what people hold on to and that's like what keeps them going through for sure in fact i would argue that the hgc especially has that feel because if you look at like the lcs and you're like oh you know i could get there Eventually, oh no, the challengers are going away. There's this wave of franchising, which we'll get to. But it, it feels like HGC is built for to continue that dream. Like to keep, we always refer to it on the show as keep the dream alive. Like this concept of like I can get into esports. I'm yeah. like sitting here watching this. I can do 
that. Talk a little bit about that, like how you've structured the HGC to make it, because it's a very different model than we're seeing. We've got this wave of franchising across esports, and very much thought of as like sports teams come in, spend lots of money, and the players are well taken care of. And you guys are supporting the organizations, but in a very different way. This is to, this is more of like a startup model where you very much recognize you need to build something up. Exactly. Um, this year, 2017, was all about building a foundation where it's like, hey guys, we got the base level down. Like we got the house built. Now we need to fill the house and start doing the little extra things to make it feel like a home. Um, and that's what we're going to be working on over the next coming years. Um, specifically for us, when designing the program. Um, to quote Dreadnought, he, uh, he, he made up this line, I've been using it in press for over a year now and I love him for it, is that Open Division was created to bridge the gap between Hero League and competitive play. Is that you're really good at the game, you're a master level player, you're high diamond, what do you do, right? How do you get into esports? That's the biggest question. And as you said, as teams start going to franchising and this, that and the other, there's that moment where it almost it seems like it's becoming unattainable to the yeah. average person. It's becoming the LeBron James situation yes, more. That's not what we want. We want heroes to be the community to where it's like, oh, there's a clear path. Like, hey, me and my friends are good at this game. We're in team league. We're ranked high. Okay, mm-hmm. well, what's the next step? Oh, there's a weekly tournament that I sign up for that has cash and prizing. And if we do well and have fun, we can make it into the HTC. Like, that sounds pretty easy, right? Yep. And so that's the that's the story that we're trying to paint. And we've seen really cool successes this entire year. I think we've seen six teams come in um, throughout the year, three uh, last phase, three this phase. Uh, the New Blood's looking actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's going to be uh, an exciting year next year. And especially if we look at um, one of the teams that came in, the Crucible, from phase one to phase two in Europe, they ended up doing well in the playoffs, Team Zealots, and starting to take games off of big teams. Yep. And they're now a contender in Europe, which is looking like the most competitive HGC league. Uh, how are we going to see the new teams coming in? You know, like, I think that as this continues, we're just going to see stronger and stronger newcomers come in, especially as HGC pros start getting relegated and start having to break up. And yep. th- there's going to be more talent spread out evenly, I think. Awesome. So we focus a lot on the positive. Let's talk a little bit about what you do differently. Obviously, it's been a long year to trying a lot of new things. What are the things you look back on that you're like, oh, we should have done that a little bit different, or we've got some plans to change this up. We didn't feel like this worked as well. Yeah, um, I think initially, I think the one of the big mistakes that we made was it was with our roster rules is that we wanted to really provide consistency and we wanted to make it, we wanted to put our toes in the sand or whatever that line in the sand and say, this is our roster rules. You could change two people once in the middle of the season and that's it. No roster changes outside of that. In our minds, we were very much like a, we need to provide consistency to our fans to where if you're a fan of Tempo Storm, you know which five members those are week in and week out. You shouldn't have to like, re-up on knowledge every week, right? <laughs> right, right. And so we were like, we need to be hard about this. And then the time came, and what we noticed is that it was done right. Like, everything was done in a way that was right, but players weren't protected in a way to where... One of our players, Faye, for example, uh, with the situation that we had with that, she ended up getting uh, released from the team the night before the thing, and she didn't have the opportunity to go try out and get a spot on another team, mm-hmm. right? And so um, that's something that we don't want to happen. Right. Like players were not protecting that case. Like a, a last-minute change happened. They didn't have the opportunity to find a team. Right. They had to sit out phase two. Yep. Um, that was an oversight that we wanted to fix. And so now the roster rules, tomorrow is the release period. So every team has to release their players in a week. But nobody can add a player. 
And then the week after that is the add period where people can pick up the released players. So basically, there's nobody getting screwed over now. If you are going to get let go from a team, you have a full two weeks to a week to go and say, hey, I'm no longer on this team. I'd like to try out for this spot. I, hey, I noticed that you guys dropped this person. I can also play uh, ranged assassin, even though I usually play melee. Um, but that's just where my team needed me. I'd like to try out. And so that was, I think, a, a mistake that we made. Um, there's like a, been a, a few s just smaller things as well, but overall it's gone um, pretty pretty well. Like I would say that like there hasn't been any major like uh ohs. Right. <laughs> no, it's been, and rosters have always been tricky. Like yeah, part of the, yeah. I remember when we talked last year. Like one of the reasons we talked about those roster rules is like, man, look at the mess that exactly. everyone's yeah, created. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You, yeah, it was so much worse last year. Yeah. But and so like, it's like I felt like we fixed it, but the fact that a couple players still got mistreated that's to me, HGC, we need to protect the players. And that's something that I'll always talk about is that I am here to create a player-first league because they're the backbone of it all. Um, and so anything that is leaving them feeling like they didn't have an opportunity uh, is something that I want to change. Yep, for sure. So to wrap things up, what, what are your goals for this next year of the HGC? What do you want to see get better? What are your focuses? Our main focuses for next year is going to be, um, one, improving broadcast, so making the experience better. We're going to be moving to 1080 60p next year, which is a huge community feedback that we had. Um, we're going to be trying to elevate stats more and integrate them into our broadcast, as well as um, like leaderboards and standings and getting more nitty-gritty with stats. Um, the next thing is going to be focusing on the open division. We felt like this year we did a good job with the open division in terms of um, providing competition. But I don't think we did the best job at surfacing it to the fans and mm -hmm. making sure that people knew who won, what are the stories, who are the up-and-comers. And so being able to storytell is another one. And then as I said at the beginning, turning our players into superstars is the next one. So those are the three kind of key goals for us next year. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. You got it. Thanks for having me. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. As always, you can catch our latest episode every Monday-ish on iTunes, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and tune in. And, of course, there's more ways to listen, like, and subscribe over at our site at nerfthis.gg. We're always producing bonus content available on our social channels, Twitter, Nerf This Crew, as well as Facebook and Instagram, Nerf This GG, and, of course, on YouTube, Twitch, and Anchor. Got a big show coming up next week as well. Uh, we're back on that eSports grind, Seven. We're going to have the recently announced e-league rocket league cup which just kind of came out of the blue and further proves that nobody can give us more than three weeks notice about anything <laughs> very true very true yes we're also going to be joined by kevin hit our favorite counter-strike savant like the dude knows more about counter-strike than i've forgotten about counter-strike which is i've forgotten a shit ton about counter-strike so that's saying something but he's going to be joining us over the next few weeks to give us a preview about the top eight legends teams that are going to be competing at the boston major as we head into the e-league major in 2018 jules scott will be back to discuss the uh, hgc roster apocalypse that is taking place they get their own mini version of that this year with the roster locks expiring and what i know you're excited to talk about but we will be talking about the im oakland PUBG invitational is that will be taking place this weekend as well at IEM, which yes, is, you sir. know, gotta love talking about PUBG. That's gonna do it. We'll be back next Monday with yet another episode of Nerf Nice. <laughs>